Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. I have just read an absolutely riveting book. It's called A Dog's Devotion, True Adventures of a Canine Search and Rescue Team. And I would say it's a human's devotion, too. Suzanne Elschult is an extraordinary woman. She is, is a very successful businesswoman and somehow on the side has spent hundreds of hours going on hundreds of searches with her extraordinary dog, Kebs, to do search and rescue for dead and alive humans. She's the president of the Cascadia Search Dogs. She's a handler in canine foren- at the Canine Forensics Foundation. And... She has the letters M-C-S-A-R after her name. I don't know what they mean, but it's extraordinary, Suzanne, what you've written in this book and the work you and your dog and your teammates have done over the years to find missing people, whether they're still breathing or not. I, I admire your book because it shows such a sense of your own humanity, sense of humor. You're so real and genuine in in addressing these incredibly difficult situations. I I just really admire everything about the way you've gone about this. And of course, you admire your dog a great deal. So welcome to the show and congratulations on just a wonderfully written book. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, but I'm blushing a bit. (laughs) Well, you should be. I have to heap praise on you because what you do and what your fellow teammates do deserves enormous amounts of blushable kudos it's incredible that with your own money and your time and your wet, muddy, ruined clothes and, and limbs, you have learned how to work with a dog of your own and then with your partners to find people lost and missing. You're, you're based in Edmonds, Washington, which is north of Seattle, but you've been in so many either individual disaster situations, people lost, or big things like the mudslide that you describe, which is just unbelievable that that you all do this because you want to, because it makes you, I don't know, fill in the rest of the sentence. I've read a whole book and I still find it hard to wrap my head around this level of doing something for others with nothing in it for you except for the 
I, I guess the satisfaction of knowing that you've helped to find closure for either a person you found alive, and that's real closure, or to find the body of somebody who's been missed for a long time by others. Is, is that what, what gets you back in the field time and again, the satisfaction of, of succeeding? Yeah, I think it, you know, it's just making some kind of meaningful contribution. And, you know, I'm just one of so many SAR canine handlers just like myself throughout the United States and throughout the world. And so, um, you know, I'm hoping with the book that I'll, uh, number one, bring more public awareness to the important work we do with our four-legged partners. And, and for me personally, I'd like to inspire people to dream big, um, you know, find their passion, no matter what obstacles are thrown your way. And in a way, in our so polarized world right now, in a way for, a way for people to look at something positive. It is something positive, but it's very demanding. I mean, physically, the amount of fitness you have to have and the dog's fitness and the training and retraining and recertification, and then to go out into unknown physical situations that literally put your life in jeopardy, if not your health, your life, or both, and the dogs. So that's more than just, gee, I love to knit, you know? I'm just going to really <laughs> learn how to knit the world's best sweater. And that's fine, too. I have many friends who are knitters, but what you do is on this higher level, these sort of higher level of angels. And I, I think in reading the book that, that part of what must fuel all of you is this extraordinary relationship you have with your dogs, knowing each other, communicating with each other, you and the dogs. Is, is that really a, a very deep part of what makes it meaningful to you? Uh, for me, it definitely is. I mean, my dog cannot do her work without me, and I cannot do my work without her. So it really is that dance where there are times she's in charge when she's in sense, and when we're out searching and she's not in sense, I'm in charge of setting the search strategy. And so we have to be so attuned to each other and that's why I describe it as a dance. And um, I think after you've been through uh, a number of missions, uh, such as the Oso landslide, I mean, that really took our relationship to a, a whole new level. Um, you know, to, to live through something like that where 43 people, well, 43 lives were lost. A whole community was wiped out. Um, you know, there was a square mile of mud that was, 70 feet deep in places. And um, Kev and I deployed for uh, two weeks over a month-long period, you know, right next to excavators, in marsh maskers, in boats, um, you know, sinking down in mud to our waist. Yes. And, uh, it just does something uh, to have that experience together. And there aren't many dogs who can do it. I mean, she she's a rare creature. And when you first got her, talk a little bit about who she was as a dog person or her personality, I should say, as a dog when she, when you first got her and, and how you taught her a number of different signals to you, whether she had found just human remains or or possibly a live human. And the error you made early on in, a, in her jump re response to you. 
Yeah, yeah. That was a lot of questions in one. But, uh, you know, when I got CAB, I had already uh, worked for 10 years with my first search dog. And when I picked my or selected my first search dog, I had no idea what I, what I was looking for. So when I actually selected CAB, I worked with a professional that um, um, helps law enforcement select dogs. So I, I knew what we were looking for. We were looking for a dog that, you know, would have that really strong hunt drive, uh, the work ethic, the, um, uh, the stability, you know, the nerve strength yes, to be able to yes. go and work in environments like the Osa landslide. And um, she just turned out to be everything I had dreamt about and more. And um, I mean, she, she truly helped me become a better person. Um, and that being said, you know, when you get a really high drive dog like that, I mean, you, that's a lot of dog. Yes. And um, you mentioned the um, different uh, trained final indications that the dogs do to communicate to us when they found somebody. And um, for Keb, I initially started out training her uh, finding live persons. And I'd been to a workshop where somebody told me, oh, you have to let the dog pick the uh, uh, pick her own indication. I mean, there are lots right. of myths out right. there, but I believed it at the time. And what Kev wanted to do was to jump on me. And I'd seen that before, you know, people that had dogs that kind of gently jumped up on their, their thigh. And uh, that was not Kev's idea <laughs> of a jump alert. <laughs> I mean, she would take off five to ten feet away and literally body slam me. <laughs> and uh, it's yes, so and funny I mean, how you write about it in the book, Suzanne, because you just get the sense of this dog's passion for what she's doing, and your respect for the fact that, oops, maybe that was not the way to let her tell me, especially if I'm out in the field, standing on a log right. or something, right? Yeah. Well, what's so funny is, I mean, people still talk about it because a canine team consists of a handler, a dog, and a field support person. And I would instinctively, uh, when I saw a cab coming and running at me like that, I would take my field support and shove them in front of me (laughs) (laughs) to take protection. That's so funny. So you basically uh, had uh, whatever whatever that position would be on a football team. At at one point in one of the, the... chapters you have a local veterinarian who was your support person and he was training his young german shepherd and i'm just in awe i mean you are a professional coach a business coach here's a man who's a veterinarian we all know how busy our veterinarians are and how hard they work and how drained they are by their work and this guy's spending umpteen hours to train a young german shepherd to not only do this work that you do but then be deployed for free, not paid right. by anybody, yeah. completely on his own dime. Yeah. It's like, my goodness, you have an incredible community of people who all want to do this work together. Yeah, and in fact, that veterinarian is still uh, deploying with that uh, German Shepherd. And um, yeah, I mean, we become really close as a team. You know, it's it's my tribe. We spend more time together almost than we do with our families. And so, you know, family support is just critical if you're going to do this kind of avocation because you have to be prepared to just leave Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. And uh, so I think a lot of uh, handlers we've had coming to try out, they ended up leaving because they just 
couldn't find the uh, family support that they needed. And I, you know, and I don't blame them. Well, I, I understand it from the perspective that I often mention that when I lived in East Hampton, I was a member of the East Hampton Ambulance Corps, which is completely volunteer. And if you choose to wear your pager, now that's a choice, you can turn it off. Many of us would, the middle of the night, Thanksgiving dinner, you name it, you get up and go. And we weren't giving ourselves a big pat on the back because it was a, a smallish towns and the towns helped each other and other ambulance corps would help each other. But it was sort of over at the most in maybe two hours, three hours, four hours if you were doing a standby at a call for the fire department. But what you folks do, it puts you in such incredibly intense physical situations like climbing Mount Everest-type situations. And you don't know how long you'll be there or what kind of challenges you'll face. It's the unknown and the unknown all layered on top of each other. I I think it takes an extraordinary personality to do that, and yet you do have new members joining all the time. So when you say you would like to inspire people, how would you recommend to people to put their toe in the water and see if it's something that becomes such a passion for them that they can talk their family into finishing dinner without them or, you know, taking the kids to daycare? Well, I mean, there are uh, canine search and rescue teams throughout the United States. And with the, uh, you know, the advent of the Internet and actually with COVID happening, there's been a lot of um, networking going on. Um, And so we pretty much know where all the teams are in the United States. So if you live almost anywhere, you can just Google, you know, search and rescue for your county or something like that. And um, most likely, likely you will find a canine search and rescue team. And my recommendation would be to just go out um, without without your dog. Right. Uh, in, fa- in fact, most of the canine search and rescue teams require members to spend considerable time learning uh, the basics of search and rescue, like navigation and you know safety procedures right. and. All of that stuff um, before you even bring a dog. Well, that makes sense. Um, now, okay, so if yeah. somebody has a dog like your first dog, where it's going to be a challenge, an uphill battle, there's going to be things that fall to the cracks because that dog's personality is not necessarily suited to this kind of high-drive, focused, relentless kind of joyful work. When you when we look at the picture of your dog, Cap, she's a gorgeous yellow lab and you think well there's a nice family dog but really that would never have been a good life for her the life she has with you is right so would you recommend that somebody who has a dog that simply isn't engaged enough in the life you're offering which may be a kind of laid-back family life a dog that wants more that wants to go that wants to search that wants to hunt i mean what are those qualities in a dog because i could see someone being interested but since it is search and rescue with dogs you need to have a dog who might be able to do this work once you learn how to train him so what would those qualities be well i mean we have if we have people approaching us we have a, a, a way to assess initially you know whether whether the dog has the drive etc that's needed i think you know, there's a difference between a high-energy dog and a high-drive dog. Right. 
Um, right. You can have a really high energy draw, energy dog that does not have the focus that's needed uh, to do this work. And, uh, and I think that people get confused about that a lot of the time because they might come with a dog that is like super high energy. Yes. But, um, uh, you know, doesn't have that focus. Um, so, I mean, what we're looking for is, you know, simple things like uh, if you, uh, it's really great if you have a dog that has a really high play drive because it makes it easy to reward. Right. And ultimately, this this is all about the dog's paycheck, right? They, for them, it's the yes. game. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they get rewarded for finding the order we tell them to find. And so they want the paycheck, the paycheck, the paycheck. And for my dog, it's the ball. Uh, actually, both my dogs I have right now are extremely bald women. And so they will literally do anything to get that ball, right? Wow. And so you have... So you have to find out, you know, what will make your dog really go back crazy. Yes. You know, is it the, is it the ball or is it food? I mean, some or is it a tug toy? A lot of the, right. the police dogs yeah, do exactly. tug toys. Yeah, yeah, and and um, and I used to do tug toy until I got the rotator cuff surgery <laughs> from tugging too much. <laughs> well, um, yes, I mean there is but, that problem. Yes, of of it, of it yeah. going sort of over the top. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's also an intrinsic uh, reward built into just the, the hunt. You know, these dogs love hunting. My dogs can't wait to go out and do that hunt. Yep. And um, I have two Weimaraners that are like that. Now, if they see a deer, okay. they won't chase the deer because the deer have stopped, sometimes turned around and seemed as if they might attack the dogs. So the dogs are not mm. stupid. They won't just chase anything. But anything smaller than a deer... Definitely. Although a baby deer, yes, they will go after that. So yes, you have to, there's a lot of things that go into it. Suzanne, we have run out of time. I could just talk to you for so long. This book is so delightful. It's just an incredible armchair adventure. A Dog's Devotion, True Adventures of a Canine Search and Rescue Team. The work you're doing is really so extraordinary. And the book you've written is a complete delight. Thank you so much for sharing your wonderful life and your wonderful dog's with all of us. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And, and just to add one thing, uh, CAB is actually the 2022 American Humane Search and Rescue Hero wow. Dog. Wow. Congratulations. Yes, and to, uh, That's very exciting. I know, I know. We're going to Palm Beach for a gala event where they will be um, announcing the overall Hero Dog in November 11th. Fantastic. That is so great. Congratulations. So proud to have had you on. Take care, Suzanne. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle, which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food Wisdom 
which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches, is higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.